When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Swing and a drive, right field and deep. Back goes Aquino, it's got a chance, gone! Get out the tape measure, long gone! Fly the W! Cubs fans, it's time to fly the W with Dustin Rhodes and Paul Crawley-Jean. You are listening to the Fly the W670 podcast. It's season two. It's episode 78, the Cubs summer of 23. Don't forget to listen, download, review, and most importantly, subscribe to the podcast. Follow us on the socials. That's Twitter, Instagram, and of course on Facebook or email us at flythew670 at gmail.com. Well, Crowley, last week, we uh, earlier in the week, we took a look at the early portion of the Cubs season. It wasn't terrible, but it wasn't great. Now let's move into the summer months. Yeah, a little summer loving with the Cubs. Um, you know, when we were looking at the beginning of the Cubs roller coaster season in the last podcast, we talked about the Cubs' slow start. Uh, Cubs' record in March and April was 14 and 13, but in May they went 10 and 18, seven games below 500, and five games out of first place. The one thing we constantly talked about is that, you know, nobody was running away with the division, and, and, and really nobody ever did. Uh, the Cubs started out June on a West Coast trip that saw them split a four-game series with the Padres. But, Dustin, a real turning point moment came when they were swept in a three-game series against the struggling Angels. That sweep saw the Cubs fall to 10 games under 507.5 games back in the division. And and if you remember, we, we had a podcast 10 games under. I mean, that is usually a big blinking red sign for a team. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah, that's not a stat that usually works in your favor, that's for sure. Now, before the next series with the Giants, Ross called the team meeting and had Jan Gomes and Dansby Swanson speak as well and talked to the team, said there was plenty of time to turn it around. Dustin, I don't know what was said exactly, but it worked as the Cubs took two or three from the Giants with Kyle Hendricks nearly throwing a no-hitter, then headed home to sweep the Pirates. They took two of three from what was the best team in baseball at the time, the Orioles, before heading to Pittsburgh to sweep the Pirates again. So the Cubs, after falling 10 games under, had won four series in a row. But then they headed to London. And, and, and Dustin, you remember, we were worried because the Cubs were rolling. And then all of a sudden, we were worried that this might affect the Cubs as they were hot. And I think that the London series was a blast for a lot of people. I didn't go. You didn't go. But it looked like fun. People said it was a great experience. It looked like the players enjoyed it. But for the Cubs team, it was kind of a – a mixed bag. The, the Justin Steele and the Cubs pounded the Cardinals nine to one in the first game, but in the second game, it looked like it was going to be more of the same. The Cubs jumped out to an early four nothing lead with Marcus Stroman on the mound, but a critical error at first base by Trey Mancini, and then Stroman dealing with a finger blister and getting pulled early saw the Cubs drop this one seven to five. Dustin, I don't know if the Cubs were jet lagged coming back from London, but they got swept by the Oof. Phillies to end the month. They were something. The Cubs, they were something coming back. Yeah, you know, the Phillies beat them up pretty bad most of the season. They only got one, I think, out of the whole uh, series all year. 
but the Cubs finished June with a 14 and 11 record, which was a lot better than what they did to May, you know? Now, the Cubs started out July losing two of three to the Guardians, but then they headed up to Milwaukee for the week of the 4th of July, and there were definitely fireworks there, Dustin. The team split two games, but each game was decided in the eighth or ninth inning. Yep. The Cubs lost game one, eight to six. They won game two in extras, seven to six, and were down in game three, three to one before scoring three runs off closer Devin Williams. I was there. And uh, they won that game four to three, but then they dropped the finale four to three. And with that loss, Dustin, Milwaukee, the Cubs fell a season high eight games out of first place. The Cubs would end the first half of the season taking two of three from Yankees with Jamison Tyone having one of his best starts. And that's kind of, Dustin, I think, where he really started to turn the season around from just such a dismal first couple of months to that that series in New York kind of turned things around, you know? Yeah, he got much better at that point. It was uh, the timing couldn't have been better for him to finally figure things out. Right. The Cubs had three representatives named to the All-Star team, Justin Steele, Marcus Stroman, and Dansby Swanson. But Stroman and Swanson decided to recover from injuries and not even show up. Justin was the only Cub in Seattle, and he pitched a scoreless inning. So that was kind of cool, his first All-Star game. And it was great to see him and his family out there enjoying it. It was, uh, uh, you know, like I said, with Justin and, and the season he had, going, you know, someone that was drafted in 2014, finally kind of breaking through in 2023. It was a great story for the Cubs. Hopefully the first of many, Crowley. Ah, uh, Absolutely. Now, um, as the Cubs began to start their second half, they were seven games out of first place with 17 games to go before the trade deadline. The Cubs had two pieces that they could clip, uh, flip for a good return. Marcus Stroman was being discussed as a possible starter for the All-Star game before the blister issue in London, and Cody Bellinger was beginning to look like the former MVP he was with the Dodgers. July was Cody's best month of the season. He was slashing 400 432, 690 slug with eight home runs and 24 RBIs. And Dustin, this was kind of interesting because a lot is starting to, you know, more and more people are starting to talk that Dansby was begging Jed not to break up the team, right? And and, and Jed kind of joked about it in the press conference that they were going to give him an office in the in the uh, building, the uh, the office building right next to Wrigley Field at Gallagher, right next to Gallagher Way. But uh, you know, that's kind of interesting that the superstar was telling the GM not to break or the president of business, uh, baseball ops, not to break up the team. But yeah, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, there's nothing wrong with the the star player who's inside that clubhouse every day, who has a real feel, right, on the inside of that team to at least express an opinion. Now, I'm not saying Jed has to um, take his opinion at heart, but I have no problem with Dansby Swanson making his feelings known. Absolutely, and and, and we've talked about that in many years in the Chicago sports. Is, is you know, is you hope that your leader is also a guy that's going to recruit, a guy that's going to talk to the manager, be honest, and and and. Again, he saw something and wanted them to push, but regardless of what he was pushing, this wasn't going to be up to what Dansby wanted. This was how the Cubs were going to perform in those 17 games before the trade deadline on August 1st. Uh, Didn't start out good, Dustin. The Cubs lost two of three from Boston, but then they took three of four from the Cardinals at Wrigley. They uh, went over to the south side of Chicago and swept the White Sox at Sox Park, but it was the second game of the series Dustin, the Cubs were down seven to two 
after four before scoring six runs in the top of the fifth to go on and win the game 10 to seven. Seiya Suzuki would make a huge catch to prevent uh, the White Sox from coming back. It looked like it might have been a grand slam, and he made what we thought at the time was his best catch uh, of, of his Cubs career. And so that was a huge play. Then the Cubs would move on to St. Louis and take three of four from the Cardinals. In game two of the series, the Cubs were up three to two in the ninth, two out. Wilson Contreras at third. Alex Burlinson hits what looks like a, is a game-winning home run. But Mike Talkman, who came in as a defensive replacement in the ninth, robbed the game winner from Burleson, and the Cubs would win that. They would finish July, Dustin, with a record of 15 and 13. They were 10 games below 500, but after July, their record was 53 and 53, five games back from the Brewers. That was just that. I mean, I know it wasn't the best teams in the world, Dustin. Hey, but you got to beat who's in front run. of you. You got to beat who's in front of you. That's the only thing you can do. You have to play who the schedule makers say it's time to play when it's time to play them. And I love and was, that. That was the talk off, right? They called that one the talk off. Right. And, and, and again, you're playing that game with a lot of pressure. You know what I mean? You know, if you're losing these games, then that team is going to be broken up. I mean, they, you know, I don't know if they were playing for David Ross as much as I think that they were playing for each other. You know what I mean? Probably a little bit of both. Probably a little bit of both. Now, I mean, we, we can kind of look and ask ourselves, you know, what caused the Cubs to start to turn their season around no doubt one of the reasons was was Justin Steele was turning into an ace and a legit Cy Young contender. 2022, you know, second half, he really looked impressive. And, uh, you know, I got to see him out in Arizona and Mesa, and he was at Club 400. He was uh, a guest that we had, I think, after the first week of the season. And, you know, we talked about it. You know, he was hungry to do, to prove that that was not a fluke, that the end of 2022 is not a fluke. And so he just continued to roll. And we talked about Cody Bellinger having his best month in July, MVP candidate. The other thing, though, that really comes out of this is when Bellinger gets injured in May, that was making a, an impressive catch in Houston. Mike Talkman was called up. Okay. So he was not on the team in uh, April or May until that injury occurs. And he didn't do much in the second half of May and June. But in July, Dustin, he slashed 273, 341, 468 with three home runs, 18 RBIs, and solid defense. It was it was by far the best, most productive month he had of the year, which is when the Cubs needed it the most. And once, once Talkman comes into that role, Bellinger's moved to first, where the Cubs had no production again. I mean, just absolutely haunted ever since Rizzo has left in that position. And by having Talkman and being able to move him into first place, you were able to have good production in the month of July in center field and an MVP-type uh, production in at first base. So you kind of feel, you know, it really helped out a lot when when he made that move and the way he played in the month of July. Yeah, he was absolutely huge. That's a big question is can Mike Talkman duplicate that, right? That's a huge question. Another huge question is, how are the Cubs going to solve their problems at the corner infield spots? First base is an issue. Third base is an issue. Right. And, and when we talk about Talkman, you know, I, I, if you look at his numbers season by season, everyone remembers how awesome he was in July. May and June were men. They weren't that great. And, and, and August and September weren't that much better. It really was July that he made his, his role. So I think the other final thing about the first two months of the season is, or 
I'm sorry, the middle two months of the season is that the bullpen finally seemed to settle into their roles. You remember there was just, it didn't seem like anybody was going to kind of, you know, grab any kind of role. Like the spots were just kind of always just, everything was by committee. You never knew who was going to come out of that pen. And it was really in the summer when you start to see Adbert Alzali pitching as the closer, Mark Leiter as the setup, and then either Merriweather or Fulmer in six or seven. So watching those guys settle into that role was absolutely huge. And, you know, I, I think that when you talk about, and we'll have this conversation, you know, guys that really had the biggest impact on the season, Adbert Alzali's name has got to be mentioned you know, absolutely. He was the guy that uh, grabbed the hold of that closer job. We've talked about it many times on the podcast about Tommy Hadovy saying that they were okay with their pen coming out of camp, but what they didn't know is who was going to close games. And he was desperate to have a guy want to take that job by the throat, if you will. And Albert Alzali absolutely did that. And, and again, I mean, I mean, take a look at you. You had Alzali, who was, you know, a guy that was coming back from injuries. Uh, you had Mark Leiter, who was let go of the team at the beginning of the season. They re-signed him. Nobody wanted him. And then when you talk about Merriweather, that was kind of a gamble. You know, Fulmer was a guy you weren't sure what you had. He had some good seasons in the past. So it, to me, it really was kind of a dice roll with this bullpen. And for a while, it worked out before injuries are going to start to rear their head in September, uh, which we'll talk about next time, August and September, on the next podcast. You are listening to Season 2, Episode 78, The Cubs, Summer of 23. Don't forget to listen, download, review, and subscribe to the Fly the W podcast. In this segment, Crawley interviews Brendan King, play-by-play voice for the South Bend Cubs, to see how the year went for the 2022 defending Midwest League champions. Joining me now on the Fly the W podcast, I'm happy to have on our old friend Brendan King, play-by-play voice of the South Bend Cubs. Brendan, how are you doing tonight, buddy? What's up, Crawley? Thanks for having me, as always. Oh, it's it's been a you know some crazy postseason baseball. I miss uh, the Cubs and I miss the minor league affiliates, but uh, mm-hmm. we got some AFL ball going on, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's right in the thick of it too, and a good wealth of former South Bend Cubs are in it. I think everybody but one that the Cubs sent out to the Arizona Fall League was a former South Bend Cub, so that's a pretty good pedigree right there. Absolutely, and and you know. When I looked at this season, the 2023 season, I thought for Lance Frymel, can you imagine you're a manager in the very first year and you win this championship? How do you follow that up? That's a great question. I think we asked him that right away, but I think he is the type of guy, he's so even keeled and cool and his players know what to expect, but he also expects a lot of his players. So yeah, I think anybody would tell you that we wish we could have won a few more ball games this year, but man, I... Working with a guy like Lance, winning it a championship when he's 31, going into 32. I mean, that guy is such a bright future. And Crowley, I think he can do whatever he wants. Whether if he has aspirations to be a big league manager, I think he can go do it. If he wants to be a base coach, that very well can come true. But don't forget, he's a former catcher in the Cubs system, too. So I think maybe someday even a catching coordinator position could be in his future. Yeah, we, we just had one of those open up. What, what a coincidence. Um. You know, uh, there is a uh, there was also, though, in his staff this year, new pitching coach Clayton Mortensen. Tell me about Clayton. Man, just another former big leaguer to add to the fold. And Morty's got a cool story because he pitched for multiple franchises. I mean, heck, he was even a Boston Red Sox member when the Boston bombings happened during the Boston Marathon. So uh, he's a guy that can tell you a lot about his personal life and his professional story. I mean, that guy is as driven as 
anybody I've ever been around because unfortunately him and his wife lost um, a son um, at birth um, or not at birth, but was born and died very young. And, um, you know, he, he has used that to really drive his professional career, whether that's as a player and a coach. And yeah, I think it, it showed because not only did the South Bend Cubs pitching staff rank top five in the league in strikeouts, they ranked top five in the league in the least amount of walks. So uh, the pitching staff definitely was able to bring it this year. And Morty's got a good golf game too. Uh, that guy can just hammer the <laughs> golf ball. And uh, like I was grouped with him a couple of times when we went golfing on the road and I, I just got embarrassed. So uh, he, if you're going to golf with Morty, you got to really, you got to really bring it with the sticks. Well, BK, if you ever need someone to take the embarrassment off, you just invite me and I'll, I'll, I'll be the laughing stock. I'm just the driver. Bad, brother, so, uh, <laughs> maybe we should play together. You know, exactly. <laughs> Now, I, di- I didn't get a chance, unfortunately, to see you at spring training. I think we just missed crossing paths. But, you know, when, when when spring training ends and the rosters come out and I took a look at everything, it was like, oh, you guys did have a lot of guys returning. You know, um, when you looked at Cole Franklin and Luke Little and uh, you, you you had uh, Casey Opitz and Kevin Made and Fabian Petrus and Johandra Pinego, like, you know, names that people were familiar with. Um, you know, when you have those guys, some of those guys coming back, you know, after following up that championship season, you know, you kind of feel like you're going to get off to a good start, but it it seemed like there was kind of some struggles early on in the season. Is that right? It it was a good mix, but I think what you said rings true that, you know, sometimes when you have turners, that could be a good thing, but it it can also, you know, might work against you sometimes. It kind of just depends on how the vibe of the team is. And like you said, I think, the guys got off, first of all, they got off to a great start, sweeping quad cities on the road, but then hit a bit of a dry spell. But be it, it was very cold. I mean, we had to go to Midland, uh, Great Lakes, play the Loons, and I think it was an average of 31 degrees. And, boy, the wind was blowing in. And Kevin Alcantara was playing uh, center field in the cold for the first time. You know, Like you said, we had Pinango, <laughs> and he was used to it from last year. But I don't know if you truly get used to playing in 30-degree weather when you're yeah, not from that area. I mean, be, even if you're from the States, if you're from Florida or Texas or California, that can be an adjustment too. So no, I, I don't think the weather helped. And then, like you said, uh, after that sweep of quad cities, things went a little cold in April, but Hey, that's ball, you know, and things will happen. But at the same time, you know, guys that you talked about were called up pretty quick. I mean, Luke Little did not spend a lot of time in South Bend. Hayden McGeary did not spend a lot of time in South Bend. Neither did Cole Franklin and a few other guys too. So that early, you know, Bradley Beasley is a good example too. So that early team didn't really stick together. And, you know, in minor league baseball, that's what you want to see though. You want to see guys go to double A Tennessee and Excel. And especially a guy like McGeary did that, no doubt. Yeah. You, you talked about Beasley, McGeary and a couple other guys, Carlos Guzman. And, you know, what causes the team to promote a, a player so early in a season when you look at those guys? I mean, they, 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 they put them there. They say, okay, you're, you're in South Bend. But, you know, some of these guys, you know, I think like Cole was five starts. You know, a couple other guys were there for barely a month. Right. You know, Guzman is a name that you bring up. That was really enticing when he showed up because I called Carlos Guzman as a member of the West Michigan Whitecaps my second year in 2019 and then last year uh, when he was a Whitecap too. So, this is a guy that was at single A for a little while and, of course, got traded to the Cubs in the Zach McKinstry deal. And I like what he brought. I mean, he went from a starter to a late inning reliever, and that guy's got some juice. So he's somebody I'd keep an eye on. But, yeah, I think McGeary is an interesting case too, Crawley, because he got promoted to double A quicker than Matt Burvis did. I don't think a lot of people realize that. But at the same time, 
McGeary's consistency, it was Mervis-like for sure from 2022, but Merv, it took him a couple weeks to really become Merv. And from that point, of course, he was just home to the cows come home, right? McGeary started and from day one was just launching bombs. So <laughs> I don't know because a lot of people are going to compare McGeary to Merv. But again, Merv had the year that he did. And McGeary, you know, I think he ended a little bit colder. But man, from day one, when it was freezing cold outside, McGeary was just slugging. So that was well-deserved, no doubt. But I think people will forget, uh, as time goes on, that McGeary was promoted quicker than Matt Mervis. And he got a position change, right? Catcher to, to he did a lot more first, I think, in Tennessee. Right. And he's listed as a catcher. I believe he still is. At least he was mm -hmm. at the start of the year. The crazy thing about him is in college, he was a full-time DH. So he was drafted as a catcher. You can't get drafted as a DH. So you got to give somebody a position. So he only DH'd in college primarily, and he's the home run king uh, from his school. What What's crazy is he told me a story early in the year, I'll never forget it, that he hit, uh, I believe the number was 438 in his last year. And he also hit 400 plus in the year prior. I was like, okay, man, how the hell are you hitting 430 plus in back-to-back -back years in college? He goes, yeah, except the first year I kind of, I kind of ended cold. I was like, how do you hit 430 and end cold? <laughs> That's what he did. And the Cubs have had just spectacular, I'm not even calling it luck. Jed Hoyer and his team are pulling out 15 15th round diamond jewels, like it's their job. I mean, McGeary, B.J. Murray, Jared Young, uh, David Bodie, was, of course, was a third-day pick. Uh, I'm not sure if it was exactly 15th round, but he, he was a third-day pick. So the Cubs have had it, – it's not luck. It's, it's skill at this rate, finding jewels late in the draft. Talking about finding jewels, you had some exciting names when 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 the season started, and and obviously, you know, for me and a lot of other Cub fans, you know, the the, the big marquee name was uh, Kevin Alcantara, uh, the number two prospect for the Cubs. He played pretty much his whole season in South Bend, and then joined the Smokies for the postseason run. Mm -hmm. What did you see out of the Jaguar in his time with the team? What didn't you see out of the Jaguar in South Bend? I mean that that was fun. That was a lot of fun, and like you said, he went to Double A to end the year. How about the Smokies winning the Southern League title with A, Ezekiel Pagan hitting seventh, and Kevin Alcantara batting eighth. That's absurd. And then Andy Weber in the nine hole. I, you know, Webb's my boy uh, from the 2019 South Bend Cubs. So, yeah, but back to the Jaguar. Man, another guy that maybe people wrote off a little too early because, of course, there was a story midsummer of him dropping out of the top 100 in baseball. And we, you know, Max and I were looking at each other like, the world's going on like you can't discount a guy for struggling when it's cold and yeah i there were some arguments out there of like it wasn't actually cold it was cold <laughs> he, he, was playing, he was playing in 30 degree midland michigan and you know the ebbs and flows you know look Crowley, we're, we're both from the great state of illinois you know how it goes the ebbs and flows where it's not easy where one day it's 60, the next day it's 30, then it's 40, then it's 50. It drops back down to 20. We saw a lot of that early in the year. So I don't think there was ever a real consistent time for Alcantara to get used to the environment. But man, once he got going, it, it, it was a spectacle. And especially mid-season, because 
you talked about it. He got hurt. He had that lower body injury, missed a couple weeks, came back. But around July, he started to really get comfortable with the strike zone. And the month of July was very kind to Alcantara because he had more walks that month than he had in the first half. And we're like, okay. So here he comes. And I had got an opportunity to do a sit-down with him. And he graduated from the Cubs English as a Second Language program, which is uh, what a lot of guys take. And you know, a lot of guys' English has been benefited by that program. Alcantara said a line that I'll never forget. I, I forgot. I, maybe I was telling Lance Brozdowski this story from Marquis that Alcantara, I asked him, how much did it mean to you to graduate from the English as a Second Language program? And then he, he went on his spiel. And then the next question I asked him was, why are you becoming a more patient hitter? He goes, well, I learned a lot learning English, patience, learning the language. And hmm. that patience, it, it, it didn't mean everything for him to becoming a more patient hitter and picking up more walks. But him learning English and kind of sticking with it and just lasering in allowed him to learn a lesson at the plate of waiting for his pitch. How cool is that? That's that, you know, that, that really truly is amazing. And as someone who teaches second language learners, it is, you know, just the, the fact he's able to put the two together. Is, it's just a, that's some pretty high, high end thinking right there on him. So it's, it, he's a guy that excites a lot of people. Now there's another top prospect, but I think sometimes people kind of, he gets lost in the shuffle because of his age and how young he's been. James Triantos, he was assigned, assigned to South Bend, but he was recovering still from a meniscus injury. So he missed that first month. How did Triantos do in your opinion in the, in, the, in his first season of high A ball? Would have loved to have him at first, but understand why they held him out. But yeah, it was around May 10th, May 11th, when he really started to get the leash taken off and and get out there and play consistent games. I mean, at first he wasn't playing back-to-back days. Then it became, okay, can you play two in a row? Okay, can you play three in a row? Okay, can you play five out of six? Okay, can you play a whole series? And, and that was really the progression. So I think he might have been our most patient guy. And, and that's saying something because – you know, Hendrick Pinyango midway through the year had as many and then more walks than he did all last year. So that was some nice progression to see for him. I'm not sure, Crowley, if I've ever seen a 20-year-old command the strike zone just as Triantos did. And I think that comes from the mental skills department of what David De Silva do, uh, what David De Silva does and what Javier uh, Guerrero does, the Cubs mental skills guys. Uh, they were with Triantos all the time, whenever they made a trip to South Bend, they were having individual meetings. And I, I really think the Cubs organization, at least, Carly, you know, I've been in South Bend since 2018. That was, of course, pre-COVID. And that was, of course, before Major League Baseball took over. What the Cubs have done with their mental skills department from 2018 to now, that might be the most impactful thing that I've seen, at least firsthand with my eyes, the organization do. And, and I think that's really having a positive impact on kids, Triantos included. Uh, the, the Cubs really tested him uh, with his glove. I mean, he was out there, Crawley, every single day, 3 o'clock, working with bench coach D'Angelo Jimenez on his ground balls. And then, of course, to end the year, he was playing some center field. The guy never played center field a day in his life. <laughs> he was a great he was a great high school baseball player, and a lot of times the best high school players are the best athletes, and they can go out there and play any position. But, yeah, he was pitching. He was playing shortstop. He was playing second in high school. Guy never played center. And could you imagine being a professional at what you do? I mean, Crowley, what what uh, what subjects do you teach? 
English is a second language in history. So okay, so <laughs> if, if somebody asked you tomorrow to go teach chemistry, no, yeah, <laughs> no thanks. That's him going out to play center field, and and he looked a natural like it. So I, I was really impressed with Triantos. And and, and an, uh, another guy that we saw come back from injury later on in June was Ed Howard. I remember being down mm-hmm. in South Bend and talking to Ed, and he was so excited, you know, because his family was around and all that stuff. And then he had that horrible hip hip injury. How did he look to you after coming back? What a feel good story. I mean, Chicago kid, and Crowley. I'm I'm gonna go kind of like personal route here. I I don't always do that, but I, I thought Ed gets a a lot of too much dislike on social media and like the word bust gets thrown around too much to me nowadays. And Ed Howard's still only 21 years old. Ed Howard at this age should still be in college. And when people ask me about Ed, I'll answer your question first of how good it was to see him back. Not only did he come back stronger, he came back leaner. He came back more athletic, which difficult to do for a guy that was already, already had some pretty good athleticism. Um, For me, Ed has missed two full years as a 21-year-old. So think about it. He missed all COVID, and he missed that entire year with a hip injury. So Ed, as a 21-year-old, is as experienced as a 19-year-old. That's a freshman in college. And, you know, a lot of times in in baseball today, you see the flashiness of first-round picks, and you see guys like uh, signees like Ellie De La Cruz go up to the big leagues and do what they did with the Reds, and you see – um, Jordan Walker do what uh, you know did what he did with the Cardinals. I think sometimes probably people just need to have a little bit more patience because, man, for all the time that Ed missed and for what he had to go through with that injury and just the grueling rehab of it, the the guy had to basically relearn how to walk, and and he's back out there a year and a month later playing baseball. So. I have nothing but respect, Crawley, for Ed Howard, and I think he's going to be a great professional and ultimately big leaguer baseball player. Um, I, I'm excited about his future. He's got one of the best gloves at shortstop you're ever going to see. And, um, again, I, I I just think patience is, is the word that has to be used with Ed because, again, of all the time he missed, he's still making that up, and I think next year is a massive year for him. And again, it's not always going to be linear for every Jordan Walkers. There's going to be 10 guys that fail. And there's also going to be other guys that kind of take a more winding path to the mm-hmm. big leagues. You, you know, you just saw Justin Steele in the, you know, 2014 draft, 2014, right. you know, it takes, you know, some guys just to progress at different, different levels, different things and, and injuries happen and you never know. But, um, you know, let, let, let us talk a little bit about some, some, uh, you know, when you talk about splashy draft picks on May 9th, Cade Horton promoted from Myrtle Beach to South Bend, of course, right before I'm about to head down there. But the 22 first round pick spent most of the season in South Bend. Um, then he moves up in August. He's pitching for Tennessee and helps them with their title run. What is it about Cade Horton that that is so special? Competitor, competitor. And I think he's going to fit right in with that big league rotation. I mean, you talk about how much Justin Steele puts his heart in the game. You talk about what Jordan Wicks showed in his time with the Cubs when he got called up. I mean, I hopefully next year Jamison Tyone can rebound, and we'll see what happens with Marcus Stroman. But, boy, there's there's a window right there for Kate Horton to just jump right in there and and go do what makes him regarded as one of the best right-handed pitching prospects in the game. And, and Crawley, I think he's a guy where you can make a case that 
if you, if you argue that his fastball is his best pitch, and I argue that his changeup is, is his best pitch, and then two other people be like, no, I think his slider is his best pitch. And some other guy goes, no, I think his curveball is his best pitch. Everybody would have a point because I don't know if I've watched a prospect that has as lethal of a command of every single one of his pitches than Kate Horton. He can pull out fastball, curveball, slider, change in any count, in any sequence. He can make you look silly in doing so. The change up to lefties, I can't wait to watch that at Wrigley. But, you know, with, with guys swinging as aggressively as they are nowadays, boy, that slider breaking towards the outer half in the dust, that's going to make some big leaguers look silly. So, uh, guys, a uh, professional, uh, I know he just got engaged. Uh, still a young guy. I mean, heck, he's, I think he's only 22. And, uh, yeah, I think, I think Cubs fans have a, a right to be excited about this guy coming up because he's going to be special. Now, the first half saw South Bend go 30 to 35. But again, a lot of times what you're you're sometimes looking at is is the progression of some of these players as well. And then you, you tend to have some promotions, right, mm-hmm. After in, in, from the first half to the second half. And I, I did have a chance to go down to Myrtle Beach this year. And I, when I went down there, I'm saying, OK, who are the players that most pop out to me? And, and, and the four guys that to me really just I was, just impressed me so much. They all got the call up in the second half. That was Moises Ballesteros, uh, catcher, right? Um, and he plays some first base. Felix Stevens, Ooh. that guy was just gigantic. He was like Jorge Soler-esque. Yeah. I was right behind home plate watching Michael Arias pitch to Moises Ballesteros. And, and I was like, who is this guy? And then Brody McCullough is another guy who made it up to there. I mean – those four guys, I mean, that had to have been fun in the second half to watch what they gave and contributed to the team in South Bend. We were really lucky, Crawley. I mean, I'll start with Ballesteros because as a 19-year-old left-handed bat, it's mystical when the guy pulls the ball and lifts it in the air. But I'm not sure if I've seen many 19-year-olds that can smack it the other way like him. And with all this shifting that is done in minor league ball, where basically if you face a lefty, the left side of the infield is automatically going to play up the middle. Ballesteros is like, thank you very much. I'm, I'm just going to take this fastball outside and tap it the other way. Maybe not half, but a good quarter, third of his base hits were just laced lighters in the left. Like, okay, <laughs> thanks. Like, I'll, I'll take first base. Stevens, uh, yeah, all the home runs he hit, I mean, he had some mammoth shots. I remember a 473-footer <laughs> dead center at Four Winds Field. He had a 470-footer in Beloit that, like, went deep into the night sky. There's a, there's actually, in Beloit, there's a little creek that flows beyond left field of the stadium. And uh, to the left of the creek is Illinois, and to the right of the creek is Wisconsin. And he was like, okay, I'm going to hit this one in the state of Illinois so far, you're not going to be able to find this. It went over the creek. It went into the forest. Uh, oh, I'll, I'll never forget his 25th home run that he hit in total because again, he had uh, 14 or so in Myrtle beach. And then he hit his 25th of the season in South Bend, huge shot into the home run porch and left, which I know you have hung out there many times in the, in the Tiki hut, but he guys started crying around the base base pass. He was crying as he touched first base then second then 30, gave a high five, the Lance Rimmel went back in the dugout. Tears are flowing down his face. And Max and I are like, everything okay? Like he just had a home run, Felix. And and we went and asked him after the game, he set a preseason goal of hitting 25 home runs. And that's how much it meant to him. The guy was 
crying going around uh, the bases. So, yeah, I think those are some exciting names to keep an eye on. Uh, Brody McCullough, great changeup. I'm excited for his future. Unfortunately, he got hurt at the end of the year, so hopefully he's okay. That was in the second-to-last series in Fort Wayne. And, yeah, Michael Arias, boy, what an arm. And, uh, you know, that's a former shortstop. I I've always said about Arias that – he looks like, well, kind of like we talked about with Triantos earlier, Arias looks like the best player on a high school on a high school baseball team. Where he doesn't look like a pitcher, he doesn't look like a shortstop, he doesn't look like a center fielder. He is like in football, when uh, somebody has a position of ATH, it's just athlete. That that's what Michael Arias is, former shortstop of the Blue Jays, and then got picked up by the Cubs and became a pitcher. Once that dude finds command and finds a routine of working that he can stick with. That's going to be fun. And whether it's a starter, whether it's a reliever, I mean, I, you know, I always said that I thought Braylon Marquez was going to end up being a, an oldest Chapman. And that seems like the path that he's on now, unfortunately due to injury, but you know, Michael Arias, I, Carly, I don't want to face that guy in the first inning. I sure as hell don't want to face him in the ninth. <laughs> inning. His stuff. He's already throwing 100 MPH as a starter. Him in the ninth inning, can you 102, 103 coming at you? Good luck. Unreal. I, I, like I said, he just, you know, when all of a sudden you hear it hit the mitt, I was just, that was just like head turning for me. Yeah. And then, you know, you got one last big promotion. That was Matt Shaw, who, who, you know, he was uh, with South Bend for about a month and then he goes to Tennessee. I mean, when you think about all, you know, I, I talked to Mick Gillespie about the championship team and, and he was just like, there was just a squad of South Bend guys that come up and the next thing you know, you know, they're, they're in the lineup and they're, they're playing important games, you know, to win the championship. I mean, unreal. Yeah. That was a fun day when you get a package deal. Of course you said Matt Shaw and then Josh Rivera came up too, the Florida kid, uh, third rounder. So that was a fun day when, Max and I get to the ballpark. We go down, see the lineup, see the transactions. We're like, okay, we're going to see uh, Matt Shaw and Josh Rivera up the middle. Sounds good. And, uh, and talked with Josh. They had known of each other, but they never met, which is kind of funny. They played at you know, powerhouse schools, Shaw to Maryland, Rivera out of Florida, You know, two programs with some history. And uh, again, never met each other, heard of each other, and now they're teammates. And uh, yeah, I mean, Shaw... Crawley, it was one of those things when he wasn't hitting 400, you're like, what's going on? <laughs> because, <laughs> Is he all right? <laughs> yeah, he's like, because he started hitting like 650, and then he went into the 500s, then he stayed in the 400s for uh, about a week and a half, and then finally one day he was hitting 390, and that if it's possible where 390 feels cold, that's, that's where we were with Matt Shaw. Uh, first base hit a triple off the right center field wall. Uh, Max had a great call of it. Um, he had another triple that was ripped up the right field line, game tying base hit um, against Cedar Rapids, uh, and he he runs the bases a little PCA like, kind of kind of angry. Ooh. Runs the bases <laughs> angry, which I'm a big fan of. I don't know if he's as fast as PCA, but he he um, he runs the bases like you just took his wallet from him and you're and he's chasing you, uh, th that type of angry. So that's I think All his right. base. If it's possible. If he has an underrated part of his game, it might be his base running. Wow. Okay. So there's there's there's, there's a lot there, and, and and you know I know that you guys had such a blast calling the the championship game in 2022. How mm -hmm. enjoyable was it for you to kind of see a lot of those players 
from that 2022 team go on to and 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 players also that played this year in 2023 all go up together and 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 help the Smokies win a championship. That has been special to you to see that with some of those guys. Yeah, I mean, obviously excitement, but not gonna lie, a little bit of FOMO. I wanted to be down there with the guys and, and party with them. I mean, got so used to partying with those guys. I mean, heck, you know, half of that team was 2019 South Bend Cubs. You know, Andy Weber and um, you know Cole Roeder and others and. Uh, and then a lot of the more 2022 guys. So, yeah, I think about a guy like Cole Franklin. You know, that's Cole's uh, third ring in the org already. Um, yeah, for Caleb Knight, that's actually his fourth ring because he's got a Eugene ring, two South Benders, and now a Tennessee ring. So, I mean, Knighter is going to be like showing up to parties like this with, with four fingers. He's turning into Tom Brady. What do you One for the thumb, right? That's what yeah, he needs? One for the thumb. So, yeah, no, seriously, though. Um, you know, to see OC go back-to-back on titles, you know, Jordan Wogu's in that conversation too. A lot of these guys going back-to-back when they're just 21, 22 years old. Uh, you know, I I think that's a very fine line because, for one, you don't want to get cocky. But two, uh, South, South Bend minor leaguers are winning rings like it's nobody's business. And they're going to get to the big leagues with these rings. And listen, w- winning a World Series – and I'm just projecting here because I've never been part of anything like that, but I'm sure winning a world series is a different story than winning a Midwest league or Southern league championship, but the ingredients needed for locking in and doing so have to be the same. And I'm sure if, you know, you ask a Ben Zobers that, or if um, you ask a Joe Madden, that question, I'm sure he, they would say something along those lines of learning how to win in the minor leagues is only going to help you as you get to the big leagues. Absolutely. You know, BK, you know, it, it, it just because, you know, there's no more minor league baseball doesn't mean things aren't going down in South Bend because there's always a party in South Bend and you guys always have so many fun things throughout the year. I just wanted to let our listeners know that Saturday, October 21st is the Michiana Festival of Beers. Did I pronounce that right? Michi- yeah, Michiana. Michiana. Michiana Festival of Beers. Yeah. I mean, that that to me, you know, anytime you can mix, you know, minor league ballparks and beer is going to be a fun time. So that's coming up on October 21st. And for anyone that wants a unique experience, Cops and Goblins, 2020, that's going to be uh, Tuesday, October 24th mm-hmm. from 5 to 730. So if people are interested, uh, they can go to the South Bend website and check it out. And, uh, you know, like I said, South Bend is just a beautiful, beautiful ballpark that you guys got at Four Winds and, and you know, just uh, – I, you know, you guys always have fun stuff going on, and I think people should check it out. Always, yeah. Actually, the Cops and Goblins event that you just brought up, that is a free trick-or-treating event for everybody. So dress up, bring the kids, and uh, the South Bend Police Department teaming up with the South Bend Cubs, Stu and Swoop, for uh, passing out some free candy. So, uh, Crowley, I think you're too big of a kid for that, but if uh, you want to bring your kids on, we'd uh, we'd love to have you. Yeah, I think the beer fest is more my my speed, but I, you know what? Wherever, wherever, whatever it is, man, you know I'll be around. BK, I appreciate you jumping on and talking South Bend Cubs. Always a pleasure, and I look forward to getting back to Four Winfields next season. You got it, Curly. Hey, want to give a shout out? Jordan Galligan getting married this weekend. My pledge brother. He's a Cardinals fan. Can't do anything about that, but we'll get him along someday. I promise. Sounds good, buddy. Take care. Thanks, Curly. This is segment three of the Fly the W670 podcast. It's season two, episode 78, the Cubs summer of 23. Don't forget to download, listen, and subscribe to the podcast 
All right, Crowley, let's take a look at some of the uh, news and notes floating around since we talked to everybody on Monday. One of the first things uh, I took notice of, and you did as well, was an Instagram Cody Bellinger on the gram. Oh, boy. I, I, it's a picture of if you're subscribing to the YouTube, Scores YouTube channel and you're looking at this podcast, it's a picture of Cody Bellinger pointing, it looks like, to the outfield, to the bleachers. And, and the caption says, to the fans, teammates, organization, thank you for an unforgettable season from my family and I. Uh, again, you know, it, you know it, kind of feels like, it kind of feels like <laughs> goodbye, right? It, it, it's like the post game, it, the cleaning out the locker day, day right? When, when he used past tense talking about things. Right. It, it definitely, you know, it feels like goodbye. And again, maybe we're panicking, but, you know, wouldn't you, wouldn't this be the kind of message you would send after you sign with another team? Thank you, Cub fan Chicago for an amazing year, blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, doing it right now, now it's gotten me in a panic, man. It's getting me jittery. Well, you could, you be- could tease <laughs> a little bit, right? You could say all that and you could say, you know, here's to the future. Nobody knows what's in store for us. Something like that, right? Where, right. you you know, it's it's not glass empty, it's glass half full, somewhere in the middle, you're not saying goodbye. Maybe he wrote this on his own. Again, you know, Cody Bellinger's job is to, is to catch baseballs and hit baseballs. Not necessarily right. Okay. So listen, until he's gone, let's, let's stay positive, at least for right this second. All right. I'm going to put the paper bag. I'm, I'm breathing into a way for now, but uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll keep an eye on this. All um, right. So this one's really interesting, Crowley. This one is one that's got to be talked about. We talked about it this morning on the Mully and Haw show, but uh, two members of David Ross's coaching staff were let go. Uh, the game day strategy coach, which I didn't even know they had, Craig Driver and the bullpen coach Chris Young. Yeah, so when when you talk about the the, the game strategy coach, that that was a position that kind of got started when uh, with Mike Brazello, and Mike Brazello was brilliant at coming up with with, with the game strategy. And I was kind of shocked when they let him go. I mean, David um, Joe Madden used to always refer to Brazello as the secret weapon. You know, right, right. Yeah, I, I was surprised by that. I was having trouble this morning coming up with his name. You had texted me. Thank you for that. I had figured it out by then. But that guy seemed really good, really good at his job. Yep. Now, you remember in Jed's end-of-the-season press conference, he was asked if they were all, all the coaches were going to be returning, and he was very noncommittal. Now, whether or not Driver and Young are getting thrown under the bus, that's another question. Was it Chris Young's fault that Albert Alzali, Brad Boxberger, Michael Fulmer all had forearm strains and Brandon Hughes had a left knee injury? Uh, was it Craig Driver who insisted that Ian Happ needed to bat in the three-hole or that Patrick Wisdom, Trey Mancini, and Miles Mastroboni would be suitable replacements for Saya while he was injured? I mean, was it Young and Driver that said that bunting late in games was a brilliant strategy? Uh, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm trying to figure out. Now, now clearly, Dustin, we, you know, we're going to get to September, like we said in the next podcast, of the collapse, and it was clearly on the bullpen. But but that was a bullpen that was absolutely dead. It was they they had they they lost Fulmer, they lost Boxberger, they lost Alzali, all these guys. I mean, you had a couple options, but I don't I don't understand what the what the at least what the bullpen coach had to do with anything on that. Do you? No, I, I mean unless they they weren't happy with the progression of Miguel Amaya, like once he got up here. 
could that have been could that have been part of it but or were they not happy with the prepping you know i think borzello was really what i remember hearing about was how much he impacted the game plan right he was big on the game plan making sure that the catcher and the pitcher the defense behind everybody was on the same page maybe they weren't happy with those those strategies right these are these are questions Crowley that we can only ask Jed Hoyer or Carter Hawkins the next time they pop on the score well next time Tommy Hadovy's on ask what he thinks but that that to me it, it, I, I didn't unless you have somebody that you were really saying to myself oh my god this guy is a guy we can't miss uh, I don't get it. We had Chris Young on the show, and he's absolutely great guy. I, I know both of the guys, uh, Craig and Chris, and I, and they're, they're great coaches. And I, I know they're going to have success in the future. And I, I kind of don't get it, but I don't know. Maybe if were these? You know, I think you had said somebody had said the, they were David Ross guys. Those two guys. Right. Maybe they weren't. Um, who's the uh, pitching guru that the Red Sox want? Craig Breslow. Yep. Right. Maybe they're not Breslow guys. Maybe Breslow has some other ideas since he is the pitching guru. And if they want to keep Craig Breslow around, which I think all of us uh, want, is that he's going to get his own guys in. Or maybe this was, hey, Ross is worried about his future and he wants to show uh, Jed and Carter that he's not afraid to part with guys. Maybe that everybody's not um, pulling in the same direction. Maybe he's willing to say, okay, listen. You think that's wrong? Give me some new guys. Give me a suggestion because guess what? I'm David Ross and I want to stick around. Well, maybe it was Jed with a shot across the bow to David Ross. You right. Know? Like I'm in charge and I'm going to get rid of two of your guys. This year wasn't good enough. You told me they were good. I think we can do better. Well, if if David Ross, and again, this is going to be a big if, with especially unless that option is, is picked up prior to the end of the season, is going to be, you know, Ross's job security. And there were a bunch of people watching this right here. And John Morosi, Odyssey Baseball Insider, um, he writes, Will Venerable Rangers associate manager has been contacted by multiple MLB teams regarding their managerial openings, but he's told these clubs that he is staying with Texas. This is a significant development. Venable 40 is highly regarded in the industry. Why do I bring that up? Well, you know, there's a lot of people that are going to be out there, but he coached first and third base for the Cubs from 2018 to 2020. So I don't know if you really remember him being on the team. I, I talked to him in spring training and at Cubs conventions. The guy is absolutely, he, he is very sought after. I don't know what associate manager is, but I know he's the right-hand guy for Bruce Bochy in Texas. We're going to talk about Texas because man, are they impressive, but you know, Venerable played, uh, he also was a bench coach for Alex Cora with the Red Sox. So he's been in big markets. He's been on winning teams. Um, he could be a potential replacement for David Ross if things don't go well in 24. Uh, he played nine seasons in the major. He's an Ivy Leaguer, graduated from Princeton. I, I got a feeling he is, you know, he's committing to one more year in Texas. But after that, who knows? If a job was to come open in Chicago, I, I mean, you guys know I've been on the Craig Council train, but but Will Venable is another name that I would definitely jump at if he became available. All right. I mean, I'll, I'll trust your judgment on that. I, I'm not ready to run David Ross out of here yet. I understand that you should always have a short list in, back in the day in your uh, in your top drawer, your desk, right? You have that uh, you have that list, but uh, 
Yeah. I mean, you know, there's another guy at marquee that might be the right guy at the right time, right? Right guy at the right no. time, right guy at the right time. It's almost okay. like, it's almost like what happened with Ricky Renteria, you know? Okay. So David Ross is able to keep the Cubs here. How do the Cubs go from here to here? Maybe, maybe that's Joe Girardi. Maybe he's too old. Maybe, maybe the game has passed him by. Maybe I, I'm not quite sure. Um, I will tell you, I do not believe there is any chance that Joe Girardi gets the job. I, I will go on record saying that. I do not think that um, he did interview um, at the same time David Ross did. Uh, I think, you know, he got himself a, a reputation of not being great with young players when he was in Philly. Um, whether or not that's accurate or not, not saying it is or isn't. I'm just saying that was kind of the word out of there. Um, I, I am not a hundred percent certain. I do well, I not think Joe Girardi's got time for a rebuild, right? I think Joe Girardi's got time to win right now. That's what Joe Girardi wants to do. So, you know, when you talk about young guys, yeah, the next good Cubs team is going to have young guys on it, but they're also going to have some vets. Yeah. I, I mean, Crowley, I'm not going to disagree with you. I, I'm not. Um, but yeah, I mean, I like that name, but if Venables is sticking around this off season, that means he's looking to replace Bochi. Maybe Bochi only wants to do this for two more years. You know, maybe, maybe if the Rangers, who are in the ALCS, we're going to talk about that in a minute, what if the Rangers won this year? So Bochi sticks around one last year for a big-ass golden parachute, and then he walks away, right? And, Bo- well, and Venables knows that that's what's going on. You never know. And and, and, and here's the thing is that, you know, if, if he's available – and the Cubs can make him an offer. It would be, it would be, I think, in their best interest to do so. And that, and and again, maybe right now that is the plan. Maybe that's what Venables thinking in the back of his head. But things can always change. All right, Crowley. As a season ticket holder, I know you were one of the first to get a email letter from the chairman, Tom Ricketts. Yeah, I was a little disappointed. I thought the email was just to me, but it was a group email. So, uh, man. I, I thought I would kind of just discuss it really quick. Um, there are a couple of things I do want to point out. Of course, it starts out saying Cub fans. This wasn't the way we wanted the season to end, and every year we missed the playoffs is a difficult one. However, this season, where we dug ourselves in an early hole and then played as well as everyone in the league, only to fall just short of our goal, was particularly disappointing. That said, we took a major step forward in 2023 and looked to build on it for next season. That's a hundred. That's fair. That's what that sounds good to me, Dustin. Right. I, I I have no quabbles with that whatsoever. He talks about you know thanking the fans and the atmosphere. Uh, you know how the team kind of came together with a combination of homegrown talent and veteran players. He, he talks about kind of a core group of players: Justin Steele, Seiya Suzuki, Dansby, and Nico, the usual suspects, along with Cody Bellinger. Um, but the next uh, kind of subheading says our goal is to win championships. While we are encouraged by many of the individual performances here, almost making the playoffs is not success. As an organization, we need to build on our progress and become a team that can finish the race. To do that, we will continue to be active this offseason to supplement our roster and look for contributions from our pipeline of elite homegrown talent. He continues and says, over the long term, the key to winning championships is consistently competing for a place in the postseason. While baseball playoffs are not random events, they do allow all teams a reasonable chance of winning. To have a team that can play October baseball on a regular basis is critical we draft and develop a pipeline of young, talented players. 
Agree, 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 Dustin. And and again, this is back to Theo's old saying that all you you know, knock on the as long as you're knocking on the door, you got a chance. As long as you're in, anybody can make a run. And when we go over the NLDS and the ALDS momentarily, again, you you know, you know, you got a lot of good teams that aren't moving forward. Right. And 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 buying buying the best roster doesn't always work out. Nope. It's uh, he goes on to talk about our future is bright. He talks about some of the um, accomplishments of minor leaguers, obviously Tennessee's championship and, and, and PCA and, and the Cubs do now have six players in MLB's top 100 prospect list. He then goes on to talk about respecting the past, the introduction of Sean Dunstan and Mark race into the Cubs hall of fame, the announcement of Sandberg joining the rest of hall of famers in statue row um, and of course, he brings up uh, colleague uh, Pat Hughes of, of 670 The Score uh, uh, for his Ford Frick Award, the fact that he's now in Cooperstown. And this is how Tom finishes out. He says, with the pain from our season finish still lingers, we know it's time to move forward. And we can say with confidence that the future of the Cubs looks bright. Our experience this season will strengthen the organization. We are positive we'll arrive at spring training with an edge and a desire to finish the race in 2024. I mean, here's the thing, Dustin, for me, everything that he said was spot on, but actions speak louder than words this year, 2023 going into 2024 is going to be a huge off season. We have talked about, is this team going to be, would this season be remembered as a success or a failure? And we talked about it being a success only if the Cubs can build on what they accomplished in 2023. But here's the thing. If they're going to do this, they can't just rely on young players. You saw how difficult that is to kind of just throw them in the mix. You're also going to have to get some elite free agents. And when you look back at the Cubs winning the World Series before, it was that mix of young guys with higher price free agents like John Lester, like Jason Hayward, like Ben Zobrist. Those were all guys that mixed in with young guys like Chris Bryant and Kyle Schwarber. So if, if Tom is serious about this and wants to make it in the postseason, I'm not saying you have to spend more than anybody else, but you also can't be afraid to spend. You have to be willing to act like a major market team. And if you see somebody that you think is going to be the right fit you may have to spend more than you're comfortable with. You may have to give more years than you're comfortable with, but that's what's going to get you into a championship. Don't disagree with you at all, Crawley, and that is what we wanted them to do heading into the 2023 season. Lots of people were upset with Tom Ricketts. I can understand why. Lots of people were upset with Jed Hoyer. I can understand why. I think we on this podcast were being fair and said, let's give them a little rope. Let's see what they do, and let's judge them on what is done. Well, look at what they did. They got close. It was really disappointing at the end, but they got close. Now, we're going to get I, at least, I'll speak for myself. I'm willing to give Jed and Carter and Tom a little bit more rope, and let's see what happens. And then let's judge how this offseason went. Right now, we don't know. They're not even allowed to make any moves right now. But, yes, I want to take Tom Ricketts at his word. You know, I think one of the young guys, either Mervis or PCA, 
is probably going to have to be a regular player in the upcoming season. I do believe that. And that's maybe that's who he's that's who he's talking about. But then you have to supplement that. You can't let Cody Bellinger leave and say Matt Mervis is the answer. That's not going to fly. You can't let Bellinger leave and say the combination of Matt Mervis and PCA is the answer. That's not going to fly. So what are you doing on top of that? And like to you said, I'm, I'm, I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt, but but again, you know, to Tom Ricketts and Jed Hoyer and everybody who's been saying the right things, actions speak louder than words. Absolutely. All right, Crowley, we uh, gave our predictions for the ALDS and the NLDS, and the games have been uh, pretty good. Some of it's been eh, but some of it's been epic. I mean – some of it has been absolutely epic, especially, especially in the Phillies Brave series. So, where do you want to start? Yeah, when, when we last recapped the division series, remember in the AL, the Rangers took the first two in Baltimore against the Orioles, and the Twins and and Houston had split the first two games, and we're heading back to Minneapolis. The Phillies had a one nothing lead on the Braves, and Arizona had walloped Clayton Kershaw on the Dodgers. And on Monday night, Dustin, um, we recorded before the game started. The NL had the spotlight on them with two games. In L.A., Arizona jumped out to a 3-0 lead in the first, and that was all Zach Allen would need as the Dodgers would at least make this one competitive but still lose 4-2 to go to down 2-0 in the series. The second game, though, Dustin, and I think this is where you're going between Atlanta and Philly was crazy. Atlanta looked dead for the second straight game as the Phillies jumped out to a 3-0 lead against Max Freed, and Zach Wheeler was dealing. He wouldn't give up a hit until the sixth inning. But that's when the Braves woke up with two outs, Ronald Acuna walked, and then scored on an Ozzie Albee single and an air by Trey Turner to make it 4-1. Travis Darno hit a two-run homer in the seventh to make it a one-run game, and then Austin Riley hits a two-run homer in the bottom of the eighth to put the Braves up for the first time in the series Fans are doing the tomahawk chalk. People are going nuts. The Phillies have one last chance in the ninth. Bryce Harper leads off with a walk. JT Real Muto flies out, but in a play that will live in postseason history, Nick Castellanos hits a rocket to deep center. Michael Harris makes an amazing leaping catch. Harper took a gamble. He's going to try to tie the game, and he had already passed second, He was and he was trying to score. He had to tag and head back to first base. Harris's throw misses the cutoff man and is bouncing towards home plate when third baseman Austin Riley scoops it and guns it to first. Harper is out the old 8-5-3 double play to end the game. Fireworks are going off. The Braves are jumping around, and the series is tied and was heading back to Philly. Crazy game. Absolutely crazy game. Big, big gamble. Lots to be debated. I could only imagine what Philadelphia Sports Talk Radio was like. Uh, when Bryce Harper made that move. Very aggressive, but uh, yeah, that was a wild-ass game. I mean, 8-5-3, something you never see. Nope, and on Tuesday night, the AL had their turn, but like you said, this one didn't have any of the drama. Nate Evaldi and the and yeah, the, the AL Rangers. The AL has been very, bleh. Yeah, not much, man. Nate Evaldi and the Potent Rangers line completed the sweep of the Baltimore Orioles as those Cinderella season struck midnight uh, seven to one loss to Texas. They're a young team. We, I think both you and I have a lot of respect for former Cubs co- first base coach, Brandon Hyde. 
they'll they'll learn from this experience and they'll come back better and stronger. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's got to stink for a fan base to not get to the postseason for as long as they have and win over a hundred games and then just limp out. We saw that in 2008 with the Cubs having the best record and then just getting swept like nothing from the Dodgers just destroyed them. Did we have um, to go? Did we have to remember that, Crowley? Did we have right? To yeah. In uh, thanks, Minnesota. Thanks a lot. In Minnesota, the Astros put a whooping on the home team. Former White Sox Jose Abreu hit a two hit two homers. Alex Bregman and Jordan Alvarez each hit one as the Astros took a two to one lead in the series with a nine to one drubbing of the Twins. Like you said, boring games on Tuesday night. Wednesday night saw three games played: one AL and two NL games. Two of the three games were super competitive. The other, not as much, but there was definitely drama in that game. The Twins were trying to stave off elimination. Royce Lewis homered in the first to make it one nothing Minnesota, but Michael Brantley would answer with a solo home run of his own to tie the game, and Jose Abreu would hit a two-run homer in the fourth, and the Astros would go on to eliminate the Twins by winning this one 3-2. to two. Dustin, do you know who the winning pitcher was for Houston that night? No. Jose Urquidy. Why does that matter? That was the pitcher that Jed had a deal with uh, mm-hmm. to get for Wilson Contreras. I know that Dust- name. Yeah, Dusty that name. Baker objected to the deal. It was never done. Now, Urquidy did not have a good season because he was injured from May to August with right shoulder inflammation. But he is going to be someone that that the he's looking stronger and stronger with every every start. And, and to me, it's one of those what if. If Dusty hadn't opened up his mouth. That might have been a trade, and we might have had Urquidy, who would have been injured most of the season probably, but definitely they're a guy that Houston believes in. Yes, they do. Then we have Not- the 100-plus uh, win Dodgers team. Yep, the Dodgers were trying to stave off elimination as former White Sox pitcher Lancelin took the ball, but his problem, the same problem he had all season, was the home run ball. Came back to haunt him as he gave up four solo home runs in the third inning. The back, D-backs to went back, with- to back, to back, to <laughs> back. <laughs> Ridiculous. The D-backs went with a bullpen game and were able to sweep the Dodgers by winning 4-2. to two. The, na- the snakes celebrate. embarrassing. <laughs> the Snakes got to celebrate in the pool at Chase Field, as is the tradition. Uh, yeah, Dustin, what, what, that was just an embarrassing, uh, you know. But, but here's the thing about the Dodgers is that uh, t- we talked about on the last podcast, Postseason baseball is different, and they ha- they sustained a ton of injuries. Um, if you if you take a look at their starting lineup, right? How many guys did they have out? Whether it was Walker Bueller, whether it was uh, Julio Urias who had a, his second domestic violence issue, uh, Derek May, just tons of guys that they left. But their offense was potent enough that they could beat a lot of teams and, and still, you know, they'd be able to out, out hit you out slug you uh, against a lot of, you know, there's a lot of pitchers that aren't that great and, and you could overcome that, but you're not going to overcome in the postseason not having a number one or two ACE. And, and, and Clayton Kershaw is not that at this point in his career anymore. No, no, he's definitely not. And you always have to have that ACE. And again, how about Kershaw, right? Again, we talked about in the last episode, worried about, uh, worried about missing college football. And guess what? He was going to be the game four starter and there was no game four. So hope you get all the college football you're looking for, big fella. Now the last game of the night was a blowout, but the drama was great. As we talked about earlier, the Braves had an incredible come from behind victory in Atlanta on Monday night. 
After the game, the Braves were celebrating, and apparently Orlando Arcia was saying, attaboy Harper, jeering the fact that Bryce Harper got doubled up at first to end the game. Well, Dustin, I don't know what you what they you know what they say. Don't poke the bear. Um yeah. they poked now, the bear, all right. The Braves went up one nothing in the top of the third, but the Phillies offense erupted for six runs in the bottom of the third. Former Cub Nick Castellano tied it with a solo home run to lead off the inning, but with two on and two out, Bryce Harper crushed one to the second deck for a three-run homer that he pimped out. And as he is rounding the bases, he gives Arceus a death stare. He is daggers right at him, staring at him as he, he approached second, as he rounded the base, all the way, like halfway to third, he's looking at Arceus. Then in the fifth inning, he hits a solo home run to center that went 415 feet and again, stares directly into the soul of Orlando Arceus. <laughs> Billy would win this one 10 to two to take a two to one series lead. But Dustin, you have to imagine that the bl bad blood that already exists between these two teams, they're division rivals. Billy knocked out Atlanta last year after a hundred and win vic uh, season victory. But now with everything that happened in Atlanta and then the Phillies fans were doing the Braves chomp tomahawk chant in mocking fashion. This, this game that's going to be happening tonight has got to be some pretty good drama in my opinion. Yeah, the uh, the bad blood continues. It's a game that I'm really looking forward to uh, watching tonight. Schwarber's been pretty quiet so far. Uh, I'm predicting that Schwarber gets involved tonight. I'm predicting that the Phillies eliminate the Braves uh, tonight. And after the game, it was hilarious that Bryce Harper was asked about it. He's like, yep, I stared right at him. I looked right at him. You know, now, no problem, right? It was great, just absolutely great. You know, I as much as I don't want to like the Phillies, uh, you got to love Bryce Harper. He's good for baseball. Would have looked good in Cubby Pinstripes with his dog named Wrigley, right? Yeah. Um, but, Dustin, you know, you working in the media for so many years, it, it seems, you know, if you listen to some of Atlanta's postgame comments, they were really salty because the person, it was a Sports Illustrated writer, I want to say, that reported on the attaboy Harper. And a lot of the people in the dugout for the Braves and in the, I'm sorry, in the postgame uh, locker room for the Braves were kind of upset and said, look, yeah, yeah, they were upset that that got out. Listen, it's, it's, he said it when the locker room was open to the reporters, to the media, it was not off the record. Um, he caught it. You're there to gather news, gather information. Um, I'm sure he was chirping it. He said it out loud, loud enough for, anybody in earshot to hear. So that's what happens. All right. I, that, I, I did want to get your take on that. That's my opinion. So, that's my opinion on it. I yeah, don't know that everybody I, agrees, but that's my opinion. If I, had been, if I had, if I had been in that clubhouse and I had heard that I would have reported that on the air the next day. All right. Well, we'll see what happens, but we have three of the four teams set ALCS NLCS uh, we did get times for the ALCS and NLCS. Sunday, October 15th, will be game one of the ALCS at 7.15 on Fox at Houston is where that game will be played, Houston versus Texas. And then Monday, ALCS game two will be 4.30 on Fox slash FS1, followed by game one of the NLCS at 8 p.m. Central Time on TBS. So we'll have an, another podcast after uh, on Monday that'll drop. So, I mean, so we don't you know, have to pick, we don't have to pick the NL right now because we only know half of it. 
So let's just focus in on the ALCS right now because the first game is going to be Sunday. Game number two will be on Monday. So let's focus just on the ALCS. And let's let's really pick the NLCS when we know exactly who's playing. Um, Crowley, I mean, I think you picked the Rangers, right? You, you, you've been on them since we started this thing, right? Yeah, I had the Rangers going all the way to, to the ALCS, and I had Houston going all the way to the ALCS. Right. The only one so that you got your two off- teams. You got your two teams there. Who are you picking between those two? Yeah, that's that's where it's going to start to get tough. Um, you know, the only one that threw me off were the twin, Twins uh, beating the Blue Jays. That threw me off. But I'm this one's a tough one. I, obviously, it's going to get tough the, the deeper we get in. Um, I really like Texas. I think you know when we talk when I've talked about Arizona being the hot team. I think that that's Texas on the AL side. And so for me, I'm I'm I, I I think that it is going to be Texas that is going to take it. I like their bats. I think that their pitching is coming together and getting healthy all at the right time. Um, Houston's a great team. They've been there before, but I, I think that there's going to be a new sheriff in Texas. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. And part of it is because my uh, heart over my head. I mean, the Astros Crowley have been to the ALCS seven straight years. And some of those times they were cheating and banging on garbage cans. But seven times, that's no fluke. I'm pulling for the Rangers as well. Well, let me ask you really quick before we sign off here. Who do you got? You know, it's Philly leads two to one. Well, I, over I, I have the Phillies. I have the Phillies, and then I would pick the Phillies to beat um, the Diamondbacks. What's going to be very interesting is the time off, right? The Diamondbacks have been playing playoff baseball for basically a month straight. And now they're going to get their first taste of like a five-day vacation a five-day vacation. It sounds like the manager wants to go on a five-day bender. Um, It sounds like he likes his uh, cocktails and his beer. But uh, that's why I think I I like the Phillies. I am am Team Schwarber. I am Team Harper. I am – I'm crowning – I'm picking the Phillies to beat the uh, Braves. I'm picking the Phillies to beat the Diamondbacks, and I'm picking the Phillies to beat the Rangers. I'll go that far right now. Wow. I'm going to, I'm going to hold off, but I will say I picked Atlanta to beat Philly. Philly has given Atlanta everything and more. You think it's going five Crowley? You think it's going five games? I I think it's going five. And from there it gets tough. I, 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 I would I would still say Atlanta over Arizona, but I think that that would go seven. Okay, very good. But we've got plenty of time to talk about that one. That's a wrap. Don't forget to listen, download, review, and subscribe to the Fly the W podcast. Follow us on the socials. That's Facebook. That's Instagram. Of course, we can email us, flythew670 at gmail.com. And you can watch us on YouTube by subscribing to the 670 The Score YouTube channel. Crowley, enjoy the games, enjoy the weekend, and we'll be back here uh, Monday to preview the NLCS and to review game one of the ALCS, plus talk about the final two months of the Cubs season. Yes, sir. Any breaking news, you know where to find us. Don't forget to leave those five-star reviews. And I'm still watching AFL baseball. We'll talk more about that because I'm still cheering. Go Cubs! It's all over.